Welcome, everyone. My name is Julene Jackson. Uh, I'm with Moms for America. Vivian Brown is with Moms for America. She comes to us from San Antonio, Texas. She's uh, the Mom Leaks and Cottage Meeting Manager, and I'm the National Vice President over Cottage Meetings. My husband, Al, is so good to teach with me. I recruited him because we want to kind of be an example of how you can learn these things together as a family, as husband and wife. And so we come together each week to learn and study together as families in these online cottage meetings. And the whole premise of Moms for America is that liberty begins at home. When mom and dad understand and, and know the constitution and revere the stories and miracles of America, your children and your grandchildren will as well. I mean, they might not most immediately as you tell them, you know, go, oh yeah, you're so right, mom. Especially as kids get to be teenagers and go off to college and become adults. They might look at you cross-eyed sometimes. But what I have found is as you continue to teach and the earlier you can begin to teach these principles of liberty and freedom and stories, the better, because they will just know that this is a part of, who they are. They come from a patriotic, liberty-loving, God-fearing family. And um, but it's never too late to start, you know, be, begin to gather them around now and teach them these stories and be consistent about it. And it will bear remarkable fruit, maybe not immediately, but it will bear fruit. Everything that Al and I teach about comes from personal experience. Al and I have had five children. And everything that we teach, we have tried out on these kids. And, you know, they they have responded well, and they've sometimes not responded well. And sometimes, uh, you know, their misbehaviors give me the best, best examples of how to teach or how to teach differently. And so um, I just know that God will, will bless you and reward your efforts for um, learning these things and then turning and teaching the people that you love the most. And it might take a while to see that, see that the results of these efforts, but they will come. Well, welcome to our home. We are home in Chevy Chase, Maryland. We're about 15 minutes from Washington, DC, uh, not 15. We're a half a mile from Washington, DC. We're about two minutes from the border of Maryland and DC. We're 15 minutes from the White House, and uh, it's good to be back. Uh, George Washington is joining us on our shoulder tonight. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening. For all those that this might be their first time, we we take our little seminars from uh, these four books. We've, we're on week number 14, and we're on the fourth seminar. So each little workbook uh, takes us through four weeks of study, and we are on the solutions, the healing of America this week, the um, healing of the Charter of Freedom. If for some reason you miss any of the classes, you can go online to momsforamerica.us. All these classes are recorded. These um, workbooks are fill in the blank. So you have a little bit of homework to do before you come to class. And um, ideally, if you will go over the sections that we go through each week about at least 48 hours after, it helps to really kind of lock in and cement the things that we learned. Your retention will go up if you review it within 48 hours. And so, uh, look, you wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't want to be a part of the solutions. 
I imagine that you came to the Healing of America seminar because you're worried about the direction of our country, you're worried about your posterity, your children, your grandchildren. And so this is what we talked about last week. I hope you memorize those four points that will keep you anchored in hope when everyone around you is losing their minds and just spiraling uh, uh, into a negative cyclone, so to speak. That if you will remember one of the best ways to keep yourself anchored and to keep your loved ones anchored around you is you continue to look to God for your freedoms, not to Washington, D.C. or a president or the government. We look to God for our freedoms and healing and deliverance. We were praying people. We're in the word and we teach these things to our children and to our grandchildren and we keep them close. We make quality, quality time with them high priority. And when we're with them, Teach them, teach them the things that you're learning. Tell them the stories, you know, over the dinner hour or, you know, when they come over for Sunday dinner, have a little program afterwards where you share with them some of the things that you're learning and you bear your own little personal witness of why you love America and why you love the founding fathers. And that helps to armor them up when they go out to school and, and hear crazy things in the classroom or from their peers. And then you learn the constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers. This is really why we meet together in a cottage meeting setting as families, husbands and wives or moms during the day so that we can teach one another. We can hear each other's experiences and the spirit can be there. And when someone is talking about what is going on in their school system or what is working and they're trying out with their grandchildren or children, it pricks our heart. And the Lord gives us a, a little burst of personal revelation. And we're like, Hey, I want to try that. And, and we help kind of figure out, well, what does, how does the constitution, what is a practical application in our life as parents and, and parents to children and grandchildren. And so it's a little easier to learn the constitution together with like-minded peoples whose hearts are equally yoked. And then once you do that, do something, uh, you know, start a group, start your own little cottage meeting in your neighborhood or, or, or 10, look, you're doing something by showing up each week. Or, you know, maybe go to a school board. Many of you are starting to go to a school board meeting or, you know, giving public testimony or putting a sign in your yard for a good candidate that you know is like-minded and believes the way you do. God will put on your heart to do something more than you are currently doing. And those four things will help you stay anchored in hope instead of just thinking that we're all going to heck in a handbag. You know, uh, too much, too much uh, news, too much uh, television, too much newspaper, too much social media and and you find yourself, you know, just wondering when God is coming, that I guess it's going to be over soon. And, and you're, you can't be a part of the solution if that is, you know, what is foremost on your mind. So tonight we're going to talk about ways in which we can heal our education systems, our schools, ways that we can begin to heal our community and even the state level. So we are we live in the Washington, D.C. area. So we're always kind of like the last ones for school to start. I know uh, several friends in Texas and in the uh, Utah and in the West school started several weeks ago, but 
you know, this is a really appropriate time to begin to talk about as school starts for everyone. Now our kids officially started, this was their first week. What we can do to make some inroads, because there are some real challenges going on right now in our school systems. Your kids are either going to government school, I call it, <laughs> one of my friends called it public school, government school. So I've started calling public school, government school. We have a boy who's a senior in government school, senior in high school a government school. We have a, a daughter in private school. So that's another option to educate your children. So she's in an all-girls Christian, uh, Catholic Christian school. And then there's homeschooling. And I think those are the he real heroes. And I think ultimately that's what, you know, uh, parents are going to have to turn to is either homeschooling or getting a learning pod, hiring a teacher and having several families come together and just pay that private teacher and, and let them know what you how and, and what you want your children instructed in. So we're going to talk about how we can make some inroads with the school system. So everyone, I hope you have seminar number four, our little workbook here. We're in section two, healing the community and the state. Now, once we are begin to learn the Constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers and we begin to become informed and knowledgeable citizens, the whole purpose of that is so we can take that knowledge and begin to use it to strengthen our communities. And this is really one of the most important aspects of healing of America is healing uh, our communities and our state. I mean, this is the closest government entities that we have as individuals and in our families, because it's in our communities. It's where we live. It's where we work. It's where our kids go to school. It's where we go to church. It's where we recreate. So in reality, it's the community that really helps to shape and mold the character of our family members. And so it's imperative that our each of our communities and towns be able to determine their own standards of morality, decency, and integrity. The 21st principle from the 5,000 Year Leap book, which we love, there are 28 principles that changed America, these principles that our founding fathers gleaned from gleaned them from to establish this land. The 21st principle states that strong local government is the keystone to preserving our freedom. All right. Strong local, not government 3000 miles away in Washington, DC, but it's, it's what we determine what we want the standards to be and how we want to govern locally is what determines best the quality of our life and the level of freedoms by which we live. Uh, I mean, Moses certainly got that in the, in the Bible when he instructed the people to organize the government so that most attention would be given to the problems at the local level. He wanted you know, most of the problems to be dealt with by people closest to these problems because they best knew how to serve them. And only the most difficult problems would go up that pyramid and, and he would address. And that's kind of how they saw that the federal government, they the federal government should only, you know, handle, should be limited and carefully defined in their powers. And that all the other rest of the rights uh, should go to the states and to the people and they should be undefined and they should be numerous and it should be, you know, if it's not mentioned in the constitution, then it should go back to the states to determine. You know, the, the sad thing is 
that so much, um, even though so much transpires in our communities, that most of our attention goes to the national news. You know, we're more riveted about because it's a little bit more sensational than than us really knowing what's going on at the local level. Now, our founding fathers were correct in their beliefs that the communities, each community had the right to determine its own set of standards uh, of morality and, and behavior dealing with that. And they spelled that out very clearly in the First Amendment, where the founders banned the federal government at all levels from becoming involved in the internal operations of the states especially those pertaining to religious liberties. Remember in the Constitution, in that First Amendment, it says Congress shall make no laws respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof, meaning they wanted the states to determine how they were going to, uh, you know, practice religion and how they were going to determine standards of morality and decency and integrity and safety. They wanted the states to determine and to establish those things, not the federal government. And certainly James Madison talks about that, you know, that the local, the local government powers should be numerous because they would affect the lives of the people directly. And amendments nine and 10 of our constitution talk about that. Only limited and carefully defined powers should be given to the federal government. All others shall be retained by the states and the people where those um, rights should be numerous and undefined. And, and so we're gonna talk tonight about concerns that parents have regarding the community and schools and the state. And we're gonna give you some solutions. We're gonna give you some ideas. That doesn't mean you have to do everything that we're going to propose. We want you to be prayerful about it. What do you think you can do at the end of class tonight as you kneel down and pray to God, ask him, what, what can I do to be a part of the healing of my community, of my schools? And it, it, it's the whole idea when, when God gives you uh, additional knowledge where much is given, much is required. And as you're learning these things, you know, he wants us to be a part of preserving our constitutional liberties within our communities. Look, he wants to see if we're willing to climb up on that wall and say, okay, Lord, uh, I'm just a little old humble servant, little old humble mama and daddy. What, what do you think I can do to be a part of this healing in my community that Anything we do in our community is going to impact us way more than what is going to go on in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, even if you fail miserably, God will know that you're willing to say, uh, OK, what what can I do? What what how can I be a part of the healing? And you you will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. Your neighborhood will be blessed. People tend to behave according to what they believe. And the enemies of the constitution have used our educational conduit to promote their destructive agendas. Likewise, proper education must become a vital tool for concerned citizens to heal America at all levels. So God has a program of education and he wants education to be able to, to inspire and elevate and bless the lives of his children. He wants us to gain knowledge and wisdom. And I always say Satan always has a counterfeit to God's program. And Satan's counterfeit is to use education to destroy, to tear down, to manipulate, and to control. 
And we we talked about this with those, you know, godless education reformers, Horace Mann and John Dewey and the master planners that wanted to use their tax exempt foundations to call them educational foundations and to begin to kind of change the narrative of, uh, you know, the history of America. And um, it's so interesting. The other day I got a bunch of cards from Colonial Williamsburg and it was a letter uh, trying to get me to uh, give them a donation. And so I read the little letter and it said, here's the little letter. They're trying to get a donation from me, the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation. And Rockefeller is a big part of uh, the Rockefeller family of, of this foundation. And it said, the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation wants to keep the stories of 18th century Williamsburg fresh and vi vi vibrant, where enslaved people labored in the kitchens of the governor's palace while the governor himself dined on the finest French cuisine. And I just laughed when I read that because in their donation letter, they're even trying to keep that narrative of the oppressed and the oppressors, the elites that were, you know, eating on the backs of the enslaved. And I thought, well, I, I don't need to give them a single dime. And so you can see how these kind of people are trying to shape and 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 change you know the history of America to to make it seem like you know it definitely was maybe uh, established on the backs of racism or slaves or that kind of thing and it's confusing to the young uh, people of today and this is what they're getting in the school systems. And so there's several concerns that we're going to go through and Al is going to take us into concern number one, and then we give us some solutions for some of the concerns. Okay. The first concern, number one from our book is loss of parental control, loss of parental control. So we've studied in seminars one, two, and three in the past education was under the direction of the parents and that the school system was supposed to be an extension of the family, not replace the family. Because God gave parents the responsibility to raise the children, not the school system. The school system was to enhance what was going on at home. In fact, in another book, I don't know if Jolene, if you even promoted this book, but it's, it's another Cleon Skousen book called The Majesty of God's Law. And I read it from cover to cover. It's one of my best reads. I actually read from it from time to time when I do my daily constitutional study. And Jefferson, it says, if it is believed that these elementary schools will be better managed by the governor and council, the commissioners of the literacy fund or any other general authority of the government than by the parents within each ward, it is a belief against all experience. So even Jefferson knew, just like the other founders, that it was the parents' responsibility to educate the children. In recent years, as Jolene has highlighted, and we've talked about extensively in seminar three, the schools have adopted the delivery system of John Dewey, what, and basically in the irreligious philosophies of individuals like Horace Mann, and that public schools now have become the dominant influence in the communities. 
So the family now has become an extension of the schools. We, we're an afterthought as parents. So what are some of the solutions? Solution number one is to create competition. And Julene highlighted that beautifully when she talked about homeschooling. And if you don't like the misnomer of homeschooling, you can use the word private tutoring. It makes it sound even more fancy, but homeschooling. Then you've got private schools. And there are two types of private schools. The first one is established by individuals or churches. And the second type of private school are established by the communities themselves. So local communities can set up their own private schools under the direction of the city council. So that's all locally controlled. This takes the schools out from underneath the control of the district or the state school boards of education. Thomas Jefferson and Envision that America would be divided up into six mile squares. If you ever fly over the Midwest, you will see these little checkerboard squares. That was actually the vision of Jefferson and the founders, even before the Constitution was written, that these six mile squares would basically encompass about 100 families. And once you got to the number of 100, then you could start a school. Usually schools will start with 100 families. The third thing you want to, to include in your competition in terms of the first solution is to avoid the lure of easy money that's disguised in charter schools, school vouchers, and state and federal funding. And I know most of the people on this call are proponents of school vouchers, but when it's done where it's federally or state funded, it usually comes with strings and further regulations. So you wanna be careful about that. And then the second solution would be to replace state and federal monies with local funding. It really be, would be nice if our state legislatures would not take money from the federal government because with that comes strings attached. I know living in Utah, and being part of the legislature, 8% of our education funding came from the federal government. And even if we just took 1% or 50 cents or a dollar, the federal government, those, those monies came with strings attached and we had to adhere to their regulations. Hence, you get Common Core, No Child Left Behind, and it's just this one size fits all and it centralizes education taking the parents out of the equation. So those are the solutions to the first concern. The second concern involves irreligious and inappropriate curriculum. Everyone was in this, within the sound of my voice who had exposure to the government schools know this firsthand, the irreligious and inappropriate curriculum. Because usually when you take out religion, then you're allowing in irreligion. And parents have little or no say in the selection of the textbooks in their schools. And one of the things that we do, I know I do, because we've got one kid in public schools, when he brings home his history book or any other book that he's looking at or using as a textbook, I always take a look at it. And invariably, it doesn't take long to find some misinformation that's been placed in there, some narrative that you're, they're trying to promote to 
to influence these kids. And it's so interesting to note over this past few years, when we were going to school and before that, and even in the early 1900s, schools were focused on teaching reading, writing, arithmetic, and civics. Now we see social studies, we see critical race theory, They've got this thing called social and emotional learning. They're doing everything they can to basically raise the child. Instead of just teaching them the skills that they need to be competitive, they're really turning our kids into social justice warriors. That, that's really what they're trying to do here. You know, they're offering free breakfast and free lunch for all the students. And I know there's some kids that that might be their only meals throughout the day. And, and there's there should be programs or could be programs to help them through volunteers and, and whatever the local communities wanna do. But when you take a kid and you don't, you, you take that meal away from the home, it's usually at mealtime where families get together and pray and talk to one another and learn about what's going on. And, and Julene will sit, with Marie in the morning before she goes off to school. And that's a very precious time, as opposed to rushing your kid out the door, getting their clothes on, sending them off because you know that they're gonna be able to get free breakfast at school. So this whole notion of critical race theory is an, is an interesting one. And I've got a couple slides here that I'd like to highlight for you all to give you a little background on this issue. Let's see here. So it started because I, I, I did a lot of research on this. And what I was really most interested in was this notion of critical theory. What is critical theory? And so it really harkens back to Karl Marx, who was born in 1818. And he believed that classical Marxism involves private ownership of the means of production, where you've got the bourgeoisie, the rich merchants who own and control the means of production, and they, they get rich at the expense of the workers. And Karl Marx thought that during his lifetime, this economic system, the way it was constituted, would lead to a revolution that the workers would rise up and overtake the bourgeoisie and turn things over. And that's where you get socialism and communism. And of course, Karl Marx was an atheist and believed that religion weakened the people so that the capitalists could further oppress them. And he also argued that history is a result of material conditions, things rather than ideals, rather than the notion that a government could be created that all men are created equal or based on the ideals that which America was formed. Those are all counter to what Karl Marx believed. Here is a baby picture of Karl Marx that I found and I put a little color on it. And then you've got the bourgeoisie versus the working class. I'm going to skip over this slide here. Where's my arrow? Okay. Enter the Frankfurt School. This is where that notion of critical theory came to be. It was formed in June 22, 1924 in Frankfurt, Germany. And the premise behind the Frankfurt School was to liberate human beings from the circumstances that enslaved them. 
So they reformed on the premise that it's not going to be an economic revolution, as Karl Marx indicated. It's going to be a social one. And it's a theory of all real reality that is critical, critical of capitalism, but also critical of historic Western thought and historic West, Western world, including economics. But it would go far beyond that into areas such as social relations and arts. And it promotes this narrative of an impressed group and an oppressor group, then applying this notion to various aspects of all social life. So instead of making it about economics, we're going to make it about culture and we're going to focus on race, class and gender. Race, class and gender. That was that's where they thought Karl Marx missed the mark. It wasn't going to be economic. It was going to be cultural, which is so interesting and fascinating to me. The issue is not economic. It's cultural. And the goal is to overturn the cultural hegemony. Hegemony is leadership or dominance, especially by one country or social group over another. The cultural hegemony today is the white male, heterosexual, able-bodied Native American born individual. That is the cultural hegemony that we must overturn today. This is not the cultural hegemony. This is. And so how do you overturn the cultural hegemony? You control the robes of society. And, and who, wears, who wears robes in our society? It is the judges, it's the pastors, and it's the teachers. So if you can control culturally, using cultural means to control those areas, including the media, then you can take that notion of oppressed and oppressor and overturn that cultural hegemony. And that's where critical race theory comes in. Critical race theory is a grandchild of the Frankfurt School. Okay, Julian, I think. Did you talk about the solutions? To oh, okay, let's talk about the solutions. So because parents have little or no say in the selection of textbooks, the solution is put parents in control. When parents or city councils are in charge, they can set up parent advisory committees. And then the committees can select the curriculum, the faculty, and even the school administrators. And if you do this, it's our notion and belief that parents will reinstate religion and morality back into the classroom. Okay, back to you, Jeanette. So maybe the school boards and the city councils are, are would maybe resist this idea when you go to the school board meeting saying, hey, we want a, a committee of parents to form to have a say about the different textbooks and curriculums that are going to be exposed to taught to your children. But as you consistently, and we're starting to see it all across the country, parents are storming the school board meetings. Lines are going out around the building. They want to get in. They want to be able to, you know, give public comment. So what it's going to take is we're now going to have to begin to realize that attending our school board meetings is going to be a priority. I'm going to put that on my calendar every month to attend my child's school board meetings. Imagine if you, uh, in your cottage meeting, showed up 
10 of you with a t-shirt that said moms for America or families who love freedom or something like that. And then they could begin to see, oh, wow, we we know where these people stand. So I would recommend going with some like-minded people wearing, you know, same colored t-shirts and then sign up uh, to, to give a little two minute comment and maybe write consistently once a week, once a month, all your school board members and always include a picture of your beautiful family of all your children that are in their public schools and, and what they're doing, the decisions they're making is impacting me and and here's a picture of our family. It makes it more personal than just writing a letter or email, include a picture of the family. And uh, we know several uh, moms for America groups around the country are holding regular rallies Uh, putting these uh, school boards and these city councils on notice that we want to have a say about what is going on in the classroom. We want to have a say about the textbooks. We want to have a say about the curriculum. And so they don't know that if you just stay at home, you need to actually make your presence felt at the school board. And then as you do that, you can begin to say, let's set up an advisory uh, committee of parents so we can let you know how we feel about certain textbooks and we can begin to make recommendations that will reinstate, you know, what we want in there uh, about religion and morality, because you can always remind them that's what our founding fathers wanted taught in the school systems, religion, morality, and knowledge. I'm sure the school board members would scratch their head. They have no idea that that's what our founding fathers wanted because they knew that was the only way that we could maintain the government that they were going to give us a republic based on God's law. If we're going to maintain a government based on God's law, we have to be doing religion. We have to be studying the word. We have to be uh, virtuous and morally strong and stable people. And that comes with being a godly people. And so imagine that if you, you know, included that in your public um, comments before the school board. Okay, concern number three, patriotism, along with love and respect for the founders, has been removed from the classroom. Now, we had children when we lived in Oregon that weren't even allowed to say the Pledge of Allegiance because the word God was offensive to godless people in that region. And so our children never pledged allegiance. And because of that, We have children that are no longer taught American history and civics, but only uh, broad general social studies. So they're not learning the basics of constitutional principles. And what is happening is these young kids really for the last several decades, they just don't love America. They think this critical race theory, this notion that this country was built on racism and slavery is, uh, you know, oh yeah, that's that's shameful. Our our founding fathers were bigots. They were perverts. They were racist. They were hypocrites. So they do not have a reverence and love for our founding fathers uh, uh, because they were never taught this in school. And really, students who have been educated in the government schools, public schools, since what, 1950, when they began to pull prayer, the courts, prayer, and Bible study out of the schools, they have little understanding of the basic principles of what righteous government is as envisioned by the founding fathers. I mean, Al, that's you and I. I graduated in 87. You graduated, what, in 85. We, we weren't 
taught the God-fearing principles or the stories of America that talked about how our founders knew that, you know, God assisted them in, in the various endeavors that they had uh, been assigned to, that they felt from the heavens they'd been assigned to. And so what is the solution to this? Well, one of them is assist in getting patriotic textbooks back in the public schools. So how does that look like? Well, we must teach our children about the spiritual roots of our great nation, and they must come in programs and textbooks that the public schools uh, will, will be able to have and to teach the children about the greatness of these early patriots. So one way is to have, you know, these advisory committees uh, of parents giving recommendations for curriculum and textbooks. Another is when you go into your school uh, for back to school night, you just gift, you gift certain books to the, the teachers. We have done this through the years and back to school nights are, are happening uh, right now. And so we have given, how many times have we given this 5,000 year leap to our, our history teachers or to the elementary teachers. And we say, look, these are the, these are really great principles about our founding uh, principles from our history. And this is what we teach our children in our home. We'd like to give you this and uh, see, you know, if you wanna incorporate these ideas as you teach uh, American history. And the teacher always kind of sometimes looks surprised. They usually are quite thrilled. What you could also do too, if you're feeling particularly generous for the elementaries, you could give them the I Love America books. They're the sweetest little games and stories and activities to teach uh, the elementary age kids to love America. You could also give the middle school and high school the making of America, one of the most comprehensive explanations of the, of the Constitution from the viewpoint of the founding fathers. Give this to the history teachers. And these are the best books. I hope you've gotten them. The real George Washington, the real Benjamin Franklin, the real Thomas Jefferson. If you gave, now this would probably be an investment of about 130 bucks, but that, that, that teacher would, would know that you were serious about, you know, certain things. And, you know, I think the good teachers would be probably quite humbled by, you know, your offerings. And I dare say that they would read some and maybe, you know, God would put upon their heart, I'm going to start to incorporate this. You know, I don't need the approval of the principal or the superintendent to start to teach some of this. This is, you know, this is good stuff. These are great stories. And so that would be a solution of how we could get our teachers back to teaching the Constitution of American Heritage is just gift them these books. Okay. Concern number four, fear of student safety, bullying, loneliness. When you divide kids up between the elementary school, the middle school, and the high school, if you think about the elementary student who gets to fifth grade, they're pretty much running the playground. <laughs> and then when they get to sixth grade, they go to middle school, and they're like pretty scared, and they're there with these bigger kids. And you know what that middle school age is like. Those are real concerns for parents. And then you've got the ninth grader that's going into high school with all these other big kids who are driving, vaping, and doing all these different things. And so the solution to that is to reinstate family learning. This whole notion of a one-room schoolhouse where you reverse the formula, the failure formula of John Dewey that separated families into elementary school, middle schools, and high schools and then have families go together. 
And we saw that firsthand when we sent our kids to a school where it was K through 12 and they were all in one building. And don't you know, if you've got little Al, if he's being picked on by somebody in his first grade class, there will be one kid in the class that says, you might want to think about that. Think twice about picking on Al because his brother Frank is in the ninth grade and he's watching everything that's going on here. Or we've had instances where our little Mary Alice would see Franklin and uh, and remember that story where he she saw Franklin in the auditorium with his arm around some girl <laughs> and came home and reported it. But it's so cool to be able to have all your kids in one building together, learning together. I mean, it's just that's just the way and they kind of check each other. They check each other, keep an eye on one another. And it makes the conversation at the dinner table quite zesty. Right. And they protect each other. So in 1919, I did some research here. There were 190,000 one room schoolhouses in 1919. And there are less than 400 today. Most of them are out west. And this, they have a, there's actually, I studied, I did some research and found out there's one school in Santa Barbara, California, of all places, that is just K through six. It has 150 students, and it's it's in more of a rural type community. It's called the Ballard School. Just, just fascinating, fascinating. And Amish schools have brought right. this down. Right. Absolutely. I just think it's just keeping families together is the way to go. Okay, G, additional concerns, no trespassing. Many communities are finding that an additional problem arises when local parents are blocked from becoming involved with the standard safety and challenges of the classroom. It's not so easy to get into a classroom as an observer or to be involved in what's going on in the schools. You've got classrooms, you've got school board meetings, and a lot of school board meetings now are closing themselves to the public in direct violation of the law, having these closed meetings because they they feel like they know better. What do the parents know? Your parents are outdated. They're traditional. They're not certified. They didn't go to school to become a teacher. We're the experts. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. So power and control of education from the state, district, and federal levels have eliminated the voice of the parents in running the schools because we've centralized everything. So guess what the solution is? Eliminate the control of district and state boards of education. Have everything done at the city council or the local level. Take away the power of the boards to control by assigning them to be advisors only. They don't have to go away completely, but just be advisors only. And number two, do not accept monies from those who would control local education. You do it all on the local level. We don't, so we had an, an occasion to speak to a group of individuals recently, and they're just, they're going after critical race theory. They're going after social and emotional learning. They're going after this issue and that issue. It's almost like playing whack-a-mole where you see a fire and everybody runs to the fire and then the enemy, the adversary starts a fire somewhere else. And then everybody takes care of that fire and then they run to the next fire. And what invariably happens, 10 to 20% of the people that were with you at the first fire are too tired to go on to the second fire and the third fire and the fourth fire. 
So the, the solution would be, let's get rid of the state school board of education. That's where this crap is coming from. So if we can eliminate them. That'll take care of all of our problems. It's, con- it's almost like how we look at problems today. What part of the constitution has been altered or changed that has allowed that problem to occur? And if we can heal the constitution, not only will we take care of that problem, we'll take care of, care of a myriad of others. Okay, Julian, back to you. In the meantime, what we need to continue to do is keep showing up to these school boards and in, insisting that some of these ideas and solutions begin to uh, uh, be put forth, or we continue to make the phone calls or write the letters. Uh, Al, our boy's first day in government school as a senior in high school was Monday. And by his third period class, every single uh, a class up to that point, they showed him a video on why he needed to be vaccinated. So he texted you, what, by 10 a.m. on yeah, Monday so. morning? And said, Dad, every single class, they're showing this video why, you know, they probably had nurses waiting in the wings ready right. to vaccinate the kids after, you know, the seventh video of the day. So what did you do? I picked up the phone and called the school and, and uh, very respectfully told them that I thought this was inappropriate that those are private medical decisions for the family and for the child. And I dare say that's probably kids who are compromised medically that would not benefit from taking the vaccine. And so I said, why don't y'all just stick to reading, writing, and arithmetic? That's really, that's all we need you to do. And the lady was very nice. And she told me to call the Montgomery County school system. And I'm going to do that as well. But we, we, we have to continue to just fight back and, and ask questions and write letters and send emails just to remind them that there are people that are out there that, that are not, not going to take it. Right. So our daughter's private school on Sunday night sent an email out saying that if we wanted to, we could sign up to be tested with the swab every Monday. Uh, just to kind of keep the the COVID numbers. This is in the private Christian school. So I immediately shot back to the headmaster, several videos about all the chemicals and toxins that go up the nose into the brain when you regularly uh, swab a child and why uh, our family would not be participating. So we just have to continue to just not take it, not respond, but to push back and make a response because what we're doing is we're now becoming more vocal about, no, we don't like this. We want advisory committees so you can hear, you know, our concerns. We need, by by doing this, by not just being kind of silent uh, when these notifications or these things are happening in the classroom, we need to make the phone calls, we need to write the letters, we need to send the emails because we're putting the schools on notice that this is not acceptable. And, you know, they still might just go ahead and, you know, swab and vaccinate and so forth. But we have to keep, you know, letting our voice be known anyways, because God is watching to see if we're willing to speak up and get on that wall and do something. I mean, God, all he wants to to do is to see that we're willing to speak up and then ultimately he will intervene. And our children need to see us fighting and standing up against this kind of stuff too, because your example is going to leave a deep impression on them because they are going to be on that front line defending freedom and liberty in this country in just a few short years. So it's very important that they see 
by example, mom and dad pushing back and fighting back and holding the line and, and, and not taking what is, uh, you know, being forced upon our kids in, in government school and even private schools. Okay, so the second step to becoming involved locally is to heal our communities. Frequently, local citizens feel disconnected from their community leaders. Who in the world are they? What are they even doing? I don't, do you know who your city council members are? Do you know who your school board members are? I mean, when was the last time you went to a city council meeting or a school board meeting? I think some Who's of us- Who's on the scouting merit badge? What's that? Yeah, <laughs> when you did that. I have never even been to a city council meeting. Jolene, I, I mean, I'm talking to myself when I ask these questions. So we need to become acquainted with the people that sit on these local boards. And one of the best ways to do that is go to the meet the candidate night or the political caucuses or get in touch with those that are running and say, I want to host a uh, meet the candidate in my home and I'll put it out on my neighborhood listserv and you know, maybe we'll get a half a dozen, dozen people. People that are running for office love it when people say, can you come into our home? I'm going to have, you know, a group of uh, people in your voting district. We want to get to know you and ask you some questions. When you were running for the state Senate, you did that at nauseam. You went mm -hmm. into people's homes. It's actually fun. And, and, and it is, it is kind of fun, but the thing is before they get elected or when they're running for reelection is when you can really grill them because they're trying to be as transparent as possible. So you go to those meet the candidate nights and you can raise your hand and say, um, how familiar are you with the constitution? When was the last time you read it? What, what, how do you feel about the CRT or the mask mandates? Well, what are you going to do to keep, you know, pornography out of our schools? I mean, you can just really dial down because at that point they are wanting to earn your vote. So you can educate them at these meet the candidate nights. And so, you know, and you can have a conversation. And then when you show up to the school board, they'll recognize you, they'll remember you. And so you kind of have to start when they're running for, for a campaign. All right, so do we get to the solution there? Yes, uh, concern number two, what happens? <laughs> There's a real concern about unwholesome activities and vices that are invading our communities. Did you know that almost every state, actually all the states have codes and laws on the book uh, protecting families from vul vulgarity, but these these codes and laws are rarely enforced because just people don't know about them. Even the city council don't know about them. There's a mama on the call that told me a story. Sheree, do you have 30 seconds? Do you want to tell us that story about the bikers that have their annual summer fling uh, at a park near your in-laws um, home in your town? Yes, I can. I can talk about that for just a moment. Um, yeah, we it, in fact, it's happened for two years in a row where um, some um, a group of bikers have gotten together and have come into a community or it's just a, a park area that's right next to our dairy, our family's dairy. And or it's actually next to their home. And um, and this last time, you know, we weren't totally thrilled about it, but um, 
when we saw that they were advertising this year to actually do it again, I went online and I saw that they were, you know, that they were going to be doing some wet t-shirt contests. And I knew from last year's experience that, uh, that there were children all over the park and they, they were violating noise laws and all these different things that were happening. And so I went to my county commissioner and I spoke to him and, uh, and, you know, there was only one photograph on there and it was, it was enough that had me concerned about the community and, uh, about this particular activity that was, you know, within the community and knowing that this was at an RV park where there were families and children that were also there. Anyways, um, they brushed me off completely. And, uh, I, I, I said, okay. And I gave them some educational material, uh, and, and left and the the event actually happened but what we ended up finding out and and what was fortunate actually was that the the group started posting it all over facebook of exactly what happened and what ended up happening was it wasn't just a wet t-shirt contest it was a stripping contest and people were getting paid and there were and there were children within the area and it was it was not delightful at all. It was wretched and horrible to look at. But what I ended up doing was I ended up taking these photographs and ended up sending it to the, um, to uh, these, these commissioners to let them know the concerns that I had. Um, and it was good because we ended up having a conversation. Uh, the sheriff's office was there. We ended up inviting um, some, some influential leaders, religious leaders in the area. And we got to understand that, um, with every person that goes in and speaks to a county commissioner, they represent about 300 people. Commissioners should know that each person represents about that many people. Um, religious leaders generally represent thousands of people. So when you, you, you don't have to have a huge meeting, but you can bring in some, some people that are influential and, and that are like-minded and start talking to them. The thing was that really, really helped was being able to go to the county code and being able to discover the county code that said, and our county code said, there's no, not to be a you know, any adult activities within a thousand feet of any home or business. Well, that clearly violated that law that that they were not upholding. We had a really productive conversation. Also, knowing your state code, your state constitution. You know, there were two laws that it was it seemed that it was clearly violating. And when you're going into these meetings and you're talking to the commissioners and you're talking to your county attorney, you're going to be saying to them things like, it seems that this code does not, that this thing is not falling in line with this code. Help me understand what you're seeing. Help me understand this law. And then that way you're not going in and trying to dictate to them. And you're going in with the idea in mind that this is opening up a conversation with them. It's not going to be a be end all. And you're not going to blast these, you know, trying to, be contentious, you're trying to open up a door of, of relationship with them. And so it may be uncomfortable. A lot of times the, they will say things like, oh, we need to go ahead and create a law. Sometimes you actually already have the laws in place. So it takes 
and, and I am not a legal person. So this was major uncomfortable for me to go in and go through and read this stuff. But I'm telling you that it is what we need. You need to have moms. If you have discerning eyes and you understand true and righteous principles, you will be able to understand legal jargon just fine. It is uncomfortable, but it's vital and it totally works. So to open up and hold okay. our, our leaders to, to the fire. So anyways, that's okay. it. it was just a memorable uh, story that you shared with me. So, you know, just as important as what not to have in your community is to know what to do. One of the solutions say only support worthy causes and events. Did you, so all the movie theaters are opening in Washington, D.C. now. Maybe they've been open for a while in your community. But as I look at all the movies down the street from my house, so many of them are mostly R-rated movies. And do you know why so many theaters are only carrying R-rated movies? Is because they make more money from R-rated movies. Family movies do not bring in the same kind of money that R-rated movies. So imagine if a family movie or a Christian movie came into your theater, you went into that theater and asked to speak to the owner and the manager and say, I want to donate $100. Please give them to comp them for tickets to, you know, families that are people that come in. And, and imagine if you got uh, 10 families to go and give $100 to the theater every time a good Christian uh, uh, movie came in and you let them know that, look, I, I want these kind of movies. I want to support them. I want, I want them to stay more than three days. Uh, and so that would be a solution uh, with movie theaters. Also support wholesome activities that phase out inappropriate in moral events. So, you know, attend the rodeos in the community, go to the fairs, go to the family night in the park, go to the uh, two nights ago, we went to the back to school night cookout, go to these events where the community is there because you talk with the families, you talk about what's going on in the schools, you talk about, you know, the letters or the phone calls you yeah, made. We, we were able to talk to the administrator about the mass thing. When we went to the, the uh, cookout, back to school cookout, uh, organize commute, uh, um, neighborhood events, potluck parties in your neighborhood, family movie nights. On Monday, three little neighbors up the street hired an ice cream truck and put out on the neighborhood list, sir, the first 50 kids to come get free ice cream to celebrate back to school. Everyone come. So we walked up the street and there were all kind of parents from our neighborhood. And we talked about, you know, the schools and what's going on with the masks and those kind of things. What a great idea to, you know, call the ice cream truck and say, we got at least 50 kids. So I can guarantee you're going to buy ice cream or we'll, we'll pay for the first 50 ice creams, you know, and then there'll be a bunch of other kids. Yeah, I like that because we, Julene decorates for the July 4th and she hasn't taken anything down and we have a lot of flags out front and our neighbor next door, who we just waved to, we know the wife really well and the kids, but the guy very much stays to himself, walks his little dog and kind of, kind of, doesn't say a whole Not lot that friendly, but stopped in front of our house the other day. And I'm sitting out front and I asked him, Hey, the school kids back in school, how are things going? And he paused and he looked around the yard and he saw the flags. And I think he felt safe to say, well, I'm not so thrilled because they seem to be more focused on wokeness as opposed to teaching my kids how to read, write and do math. And then that opened the door 
to a really wonderful conversation because he is like-minded like us. He's, and a, just, he's a closet conservative. He was looking for someone <laughs> and we just we just ran across the yard and embraced each other. And because his wife's pretty liberal. And so his friends, the whole neighborhood his, is his kids thinks he, he's kooky, but we we bonded. And, and I think those outward displays of your patriotism will draw people. So uh, sometimes it's the unspoken actions, just having some flags in your front yard, you know, is is like the the, the call for any like minded people. OK, Alice right. going to talk about concern number three. Okay, We're going to go through this quickly. Media pollution is invading our homes. And pornography and indecent materials in local stores and libraries are too available to all ages, including children. And I think at the heart of this issue is a couple things. Number one is when we are able to decentralize control of government and force it down to the local level where local communities can determine their standards of decency, morality, and safety, then we can change some of these things. And we can also focus on some of the laws that are already on the books that people don't even know about that we need to be aware of. And I know in some of these stores, and I don't see it as much as I used to, but I remember taking our little kids into 7-Eleven and right at eye level are the magazines with the soft pornography, the girls that are half dressed on the magazine cover. And invariably, I will say, hey, dude, where's the manager? Manager comes out, say, hey, bro, my kids, this is at eye level. I, I really don't appreciate this. And next thing you know, I come back and it's all covered up. Not every store does it, but it's it's good to just raise raise the issue and stand up for your kids. Okay, number three, the third step to becoming involved locally is to assist in healing the states. So there are ten things that are outlined in the in our manual, specific ways that individuals and families can become involved in healing of the states. The first one is what we're doing tonight becoming educated and informed citizens, to become knowledgeable so that we're not emotionally directed. When we're emotionally directed, that leads to fear, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to violence. But if we can educate ourselves and be happy warriors as we speak principle, that will resonate with people. Not everybody, but for most people, it will resonate because principles transcend party. They transcend race because they're universal and they're eternal. Number two, as Julian highlighted beautifully, each citizen should attend or have representatives of their families attend Meet the Candidate Nights. Invite candidates to come into your home. And I would also encourage you and invite you to take your children with you. Take your children with you to vote. Take your children to these nights. Let's see, because of the amount of time that it takes to keep track of all the happenings within the state legislature, it's wise to join like-minded organizations. And there are a lot of organizations that are out there that are keeping or, or more or less serve as watchdogs on the state and, and local level. Groups like Eagle Forum, Convention of the States, those are two that that come to mind. The fifth thing it says here is to attend party caucuses and conventions and to learn how to let your voice be heard. If you're a Republican, join the local Republican Party. If you're a Democrat, you can do the same. 
support appropriate legislation that's being proposed to restore proper constitutional principles at all levels. Be vigilant, vigilant in every possible way to control devices by using methods of peaceful picketing and protesting, assemblies, public protests, writing letters. When possible, become a candidate yourself. As you become knowledgeable in these principles, it will inspire you to maybe run for office yourself. And we see direct results from that every single day. And then I think the last thing that I want to highlight is pro promote the concept that it is imperative that all laws are based on biblical morality. Not that we have to wear our religion on our sleeve or be a holy roller, but we can, using principles of the gospel, principles of liberty, be able to influence what's going on in our local communities. But it, it involves educating ourselves and then getting involved. Okay, Julian, take us home. Okay, uh, concern number B, many people have become victims of political correctness. We've just been silenced or neutralized. We've kind of been drawn into apathy in areas pertaining to morality or some of the vices because of the strong opinions, right, uh, of prominent uh, individuals in the community and in the media. So we kind of get caught up into believing that we should just remain neutral so we don't oh, appear. Tell them the beat story. Like we're too judgmental. Go ahead and tell <laughs> yeah, So, so I, I testified at a, a school board meeting and then I had uh, a friend, well, an acquaintance call me and oh, yeah. well, he texted me. <laughs> This you know, is a couple. Yeah, he texted me and then I ignored the first text because I'm just like, I'm not going to get into this. I'm at the beach enjoying my family. And then the second text was, how much did they pay you to testify? And that's when I just I lost it. So I called him and said, what's your problem? And then uh, and I let him know how I felt in a very respectful way. But I put him in his place and I said, you know, you had an opportunity to testify. Why didn't you do it? Well, I didn't know about it. Well, then that's a you problem. That's my story, my experience. And I'm going to speak up. And and so we have to we have to stand up and be respectful, but we have to push back on people. And he left me alone. He said we agree to disagree. And, and it turned out to be a cordial conversation. But he thought I was going to cower to him. And, and I'm not we're not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. So I was speaking before the school board a few weeks ago and then this man calling him out and actually trying to, you know, question his motives like he was got paid to say what he did might happen and you kind of just put yourself out there i mean getting on that wall and saying lord here am i send me might mean that a few arrows are going to come at you on that wall but you know this is pleasing to the lord because the bible teaches us the penalties from being lukewarm apathetic silenced neutralized god tells us that look in uh, Revel revelations 316 if you are lukewarm. I might as well just spew you out of my mouth because you're not any good to me. God can't count on lukewarm people to stand up and declare his truth and his righteousness. And, and really, if we're going to sit back and allow these things to happen in our communities and our schools, even allow the Constitution to be destroyed and not to do anything about it, not to say anything because we're afraid that people might say mean things about us 
we're going to be a part of the condemnation. You know, we're going to be a part of that. You, you know, God says he, he would rather have us be hot or cold, but just to be silent and not want to get involved. That's offensive to God. So the solution is fresh courage. Take, take a stand for righteousness. Don't worry about who is right, but what is right. And uh, Moses and the Bible learned this from sad experience. What happens when good people become trapped in neutrality or apathy? Remember when Moses went up to the mountains to get the Ten Commandments and he left the three million Israelites down below? And it says in the Bible that one-tenth of one percent of that three million uh, men mostly began to perform acts of debauchery, debauchery before women and children. And so when Moses came down, it was, it was bad. And, and God had those uh, men killed those 3000 men, but he also penalized the rest of the 3 million because guess what? They stood by and allowed it to happen. They didn't stop those men from doing what they did. And, and they were penalized. They lost the higher priesthood. And so we need to remember that that's offensive to God when he gives us something beautiful and we don't stand up and defend it, even if we're going to get a few arrows and stones thrown at us. And we also need to remember that the beliefs and feelings, you know, of society don't do not give them or us an automatic license to perform. Our feelings do not give us license to perform. Our feelings need to be kept within the bounds that God has set. So many people nowadays say, well, I just feel it in my heart that I should do something. And parents should, you know, if their kids come to them say, so you got to stick with what God tells you to do. Because when you stick with God's commandments, that's what allows him to elevate and bless you. Look, your feelings, the things that you have urges to do, could be your undoing or to your your destruction. So we have to keep our feelings under control. We don't act upon them. So if you have a daughter or a granddaughter come to you and say, mom, I think I like girls. Or if you have a husband who says, I have feelings for another woman who's not my wife or uh, me, I have a feeling to have an ice cream uh, Sunday every single night. You know, we need to understand, we need to train ourselves and our children that feelings, these kind of feelings are normal, but they need to be kept within the bounds that God has set that is healthy for us. Our feelings do not give us license to perform. Our oldest son, Alvin, who's a senior in high school, who hasn't been in that high school for a year and a half because he went to a high school in Utah where they could actually attend in person last year. All the kids haven't attended high school in Washington, D.C. So they all came back. He said, Mom, I'm amazed how many girls in the high school have dyed their hair bright orange or red and shaved their heads. And he said, that's their sign that their gender is fluid. They're experimenting with their sexuality. And Satan is having a heyday with young kids and getting them to accept and believe with all these pronouns, he, she, her, him, that you can be fluid. One day you can feel like you're a boy. One day you can feel like you're a girl and you can just go ahead and it's all good because that's how you feel at the moment. That's how you feel today. So all of these groups out there are performing on their feelings. And we have to help our kids keep this in perspective. I mean, I think we've taught our kids the Disney garbage for so long. Follow your heart. Do what you yearn for. But, you know, we need to remind them, look, 
who, 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 who you're following your heart. Well, who is following God? We, the bounds that God has set and established about your feelings. That's how you know what should be performed or not performed or acted out on. And so that's a message that we're going to have to continually remind our children, just because you feel something doesn't mean that you can act out on it. You know, train your children to know that your feelings are normal, but you have to keep them in the bounds by which God has put forth. And this is why you study scripture with your children. So you can reinforce, you know, God's commandments. God created us. He knows what's best for us. He knows what will bring us the greatest happiness. And so we have to stay within, you know, those guardrails of God's law, not what you're feeling at the moment. Okay. So we're on to our summary. It's important to understand beautiful families that the healing of America will only come through the intervention of the heavens. We have progressed so far down really towards destruction as a people and as a nation, that it will be impossible to restore America and the Constitution without the assistance of God. I mean, this is just too big for us. But God has to see that we're willing to do our part before he will intervene and justify the heavens to rise up and to help us. He needs enough of us to wake up in a good sort of a way. And so this is what the healing is about. It's going to require individual involvement at six various levels of civic service. Last week, we talked about what we need to do as individuals and as families. Tonight, we gave you solutions about what we can do to begin to heal our school system, some ideas and the community and the state. And, and it's going to require next week, we're going to talk about an actual restoration of the constitution itself. And that's going to have to, we're going to have to have some relevant new amendments passed. And that's going to require good uh, political leaders, men and women who are godly, who are honest, that will, when they hold their hand to the square to defend God and the constitution, they will actually do it and that they will be wise. They will be steeped in the founder's wisdom and that they will be humble enough to be taught you know, how the constitution uh, needs to be restored. And it might mean that some of us might need to run, or we might have to get some of our friends in who understand this kind of thing. So this is why we come together and we learn, you know, how things have gone awry, how they become destroyed and what we need to do to heal them. And what are some of the relevant amendments that need to come to pass to repair that 15% of the constitution that has been broken. We need to rifle our energies instead of this fracture shotgun issue by issue whack-a-mole that eventually burns us out and wears us out and discourages us. So, you know, I want you to think about the solutions that we've given, uh, some of the solutions to heal education in our communities and our states. Reread this again in the next 48 hours, and then you get on your knees and you ask God, what well, how can I be a part of the solution of healing our schools or our communities or our states? You know, I just want to remind you that the story of America, this warrioring spirit that we come from, this line of people that fought fearlessly for freedom and for liberty, this is who we are. And Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, has promised us the the weapons that have been formed against us will not prosper. So sometimes we think, you know, our country's going to fall apart. My family's going to be destroyed if I put my neck out on the line and speak truth. God promises these weapons will that have 
been uh, formed against righteous, God-fearing, freedom-loving families will not prosper, but we have to do our part. We have to hold our ground and hold the line, and we have to be willing to fight, or we are going to lose what God has given us, because our weapon, our weapons of warfare is going to be prayer and is going to be action. Because we know all throughout the Bible, God talks about how he loves liberty. Where, you know, liberty is, uh, there is God. Where the spirit of liberty is, there will be God. And so, you know, we got to get God back into the game with our fight for our freedoms and for our rights and our individual, you know, constitutional rights. We got to, uh, you know, make him our, our partner here in this fight so we need to be praying and we need to be up and doing something. We need to be serving in our communities. And, and, and then as we do that, those kind of things, it, it turns on, it evokes the covenant of God that he has said he'll be there with us. You know, he will protect us. He will put his umbrella of protection over us if we will do our part. And as we are praying and as, as we are, uh, you know, doing and learning what it does is it turns on our brains to the heavens. And we want to do better. We want to repent. We want to forgive. We want to serve. And then as we do those things, it justifies God to intervene and get involved because we can't do it without him. And so next week, we're going to talk about, okay, how are we going to heal this constitution? And, and ultimately, our last section is going to be, how are we going to rebuild uh, our nation in, uh, in our role in the world as we reach out to other countries and truly be that light on the hill that our founding fathers envisioned um, uh, and, and, you know, bring forth these principles that they envisioned that belong to all flesh. And so there you have it. Thank you so much. You hung in there. I know it's late, but um, we will see you next week. And thank you.